Welcome back to another episode of Driven Hunters Podcast. Today you have hit the lotto, uh, mainly because we are joined by one of our good friends and probably one of my bosses, if you really think about it, Mr. Mitch Petrie from the Outdoor Channel, who is the VP of programming over there. So uh, we like to suck up to Mitch a little bit, and uh, that way he doesn't flag our show all the time and and get it kicked off the air. But welcome to uh, Southern Minnesota, Mitch. It's always good to be here. It's only a couple hour drive for me, so I, I probably come up here more than I should or more than I'm welcome. But right, you are a Minnesota back. boy. I am a Minnesota boy. Yes. And we're going to talk a little bit about hunting here in Minnesota. And Mitch and I go way back. You know, we have quite a history. Uh, you and I, of course, had mutual friends that uh, you know, started way back in the day. Uh, it, how know, did we meet, anyways? Uh, well. It's interesting. If you go to an industry trade show, uh, you're generally flying from Minnesota to Las Vegas or Orlando with an airplane full of people from the industry. So Minnesota is a a hotbed for development for products and also for television. There's a lot of uh, longtime producers uh, based in Minnesota. And so I think uh, you and I met uh, because I was brought into uh, outdoor television by a guy named Steve Puppy, oh, yeah. who is the same guy <laughs> that brought you into outdoor television. So uh, as Steve and I worked together and things just kind of evolved, and I ended up going to work for a Minnesota production company, Ron Shera Productions, which was my first full-time uh, gig in, in television. I think you were one of my early visitors because I wanted to grow in the hunting space, this production company that I was running. And, uh, and I do remember, I, I remember you coming up and into sitting in my office and we had had many interactions before that, but, um, it was actually pretty cool to sit down with Pat Reeve and talk about hunting TV. And, um, the premise for Ron Sherr productions was to, you know, good writing, good storytelling, right. strong videography. We hired, uh, professional videographers, many of them who are still there today because it's a, a great position. It's not a traditional whack em and stack em. Uh, type of hunting show. So you and I had conversations about um, quality and videography and sound design and what you were trying to do in Driven and what I wanted to do to expand Ron Sherr Productions in the hunting world. And uh, I would tell you, you probably don't even know this, but one of the shows we produced at Ron Shore Productions was Fox Pro Fur Takers. Yeah. So as an independent producer, I had to negotiate with the network to uh, allow predator hunting to air on Outdoor Channel. And and one of the things I convinced them of was, you know, predator hunting could be done at a higher level of quality. So Driven has always been one of our, my personal standard bearers for quality in outdoor television and um, just got to screen an episode that's going to air in a couple of weeks here. And, you know, I, I, I don't think you've missed a beat. In fact, I think me and the viewers, now my role has changed. I'm working for the network. We always look to Driven TV to kind of push the envelope. And, um, you know, I, I have a lot of respect for what you all produce here because I know a lot of the details behind it. Some things are lost on viewers. They don't understand that your show open is done every year and it's done with current footage. It's not, you know, you've been around this business for a long time. Your open doesn't have 25 years of highlights of driven TV. These are highlights from the last year and they're, they're pretty epic. And, um, um, I noticed that I think viewers notice that, which is why, um, well, you know, I appreciate driven, that. <laughs> Well, I'm not here to blow smoke either. So, um. <laughs> yeah, we told them that. That's what you had to do. You had to blow a lot of smoke, and, no. and we pay you a lot of money. No, um, you know, we'll talk a lot about production because I think that that's kind of key is to to give people some insight behind the scenes of what really what goes into it. Kind of like from your angle, what sets our show apart, you know, from the others because you obviously oversee everybody, you know. Not just even on the hunting side, but, you know, fishing and whatever. It's just, uh, I'm proud of you. I mean, you've really, (laughs) we've came a long ways from working at Shara Production, and then you went out and uh, uh, did your own thing with Muddy Boot. And, of course, we worked together a little bit because you were involved with Polaris back then. Yeah. And we just, you know, maintained a friendship, which is cool. Uh, I really, you know, and we've hunted together. We just had a lot of fun uh, over the years, but we go way back and, it's just amazing how, you know, you, you look back and you think, oh, at when we met, you know, we never thought we'd be sitting here 
doing this. No, it's I, crazy. No, and I, I'd never, you know, it, it's actually kind of fun because I get a lot of uh, inquiries, a lot of young people interested in being in the industry and being on television. Uh, this was not my dream growing up. I didn't necessarily have a, a dream. I, I participated. Uh, I've been a, a fisherman from the very early days and have hunted since I was, you know, 12, 13 years old. But um, this existed, but I wasn't completely aware of it. You know, when, when I'm 48 years old, so television back in the day was, you know, 13, 15 channels. And I remember when all of a sudden you plugged a cable in and you had like 40 channels. And, uh, you know, and there's there's folks that went before us, uh, you know, with like Bill Jordan on TNN and right. um, um, all oh. the others. Roger Raglan, who I hunted with last year. Oh, been, I love Roger. He's been in this business for 30 years. So. He's- Oh, somebody would uh, just asked me the other day, who do you really look up to and respect? And Roger Raglan came to mind. Jackie Bushman. Yeah. All those, you know, guys that have been around forever, I, I look up to and respect so much. They're, you know, I, iconic for yeah. sure. So I kind of fell into this um, and and have, have enjoyed it. You know, it really allowed me to rekindle my passion for the outdoors. I've learned a lot about television. Uh, working for four years with Ron Shero was fantastic. I used to, you know, um, I have a college degree, so I, I know how to write. And I remember uh, I asked Ron to write an episode for a series we were working on, and I took the footage and I wrote my own script for it. And I was pretty proud of it. I was like, <laughs> it was my first, you know, official TV script, and I fancied myself to be an outdoor writer. And Ron gave me his script, and I, I read Ron's script, and I took my script and shoved it and crumbled it in my back pocket, and I'm uh, pretty sure it, it doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> but Because there's a very big difference be, you know, between a professional writer and someone who just knows how to write. And, and the reality is there's a uh, very big difference between someone who knows how to operate a video camera and so, someone who knows how to capture the images. And so um, there's, I'm, I'm a big fan of our genre. I've been a consumer of it aggressively for over 10 years, and now I'm in this role where I get to influence what goes to air and help producers. A lot lot of it's it's more on the business side now than it is on the production side. But um, I I tell your story frequently because uh, there's a lot of people who have entered into this space with a passion for hunting and figured, well, I'm hunting, I might as well film it. But right. not as many of them have been able to take that to your level of mastery of the the videography and the photography, and um, and part of it is it, it's a hard balance to be a professional videographer and a professional host slash hunter. Yep. So it's hard. And um, uh, when I get a lot of long, young videographers who ask about what they want to do, or you know, you can just tell if if their their vision is to be the next Pat Reeve. It's like you know, you have when you're when you're. I learned it very early, and probably from Steve Puppy. When you're filming, you can't be thinking about watching that deer or doing whatever. Your your passion has to be that shot. Steve Puppy always used to say, "You can go home and watch it later." You don't have to watch it. Your job is to gather that shot. Yep. And uh, at Ron Shero Productions, our guys were professional videographers. They really, they weren't, you know, jacked up about the subject matter. And that was partly by design. Ron didn't want somebody behind the camera thinking he could, he could, you know, hunt stronger or catch bigger fish or do whatever. He wanted someone who was passionate about that shot. So you've, you've been able to kind of blend both of those, where you yeah. have a passion for the animal and for the hunt and for the art of hunting, but really, you know. Know, um, carrying the equipment that you need and gathering the shots, and um, I know we've had some heated discussions about some of some of the things in th- that you've submitted in the past. And you know, there, there. I remember one was uh, was a shot of I think you and your team walking out of the field, and it was a beautiful mountainscape, and the there's like mist in the air going, and and uh, I remember you had called me, and and I had screened something, and I didn't pick that out, and you were like. Didn't you see that shot? That shot was like, it was like, apparently it was like the most epic of epic shots. And I, I think you were a little disappointed that I missed that. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, no, it, it, we, I think viewers appreciate your attention to detail and the quality. And uh, we talk a lot about sound design because it's hard to describe sound design. So I mean, sound design is not just, you know, natural sound playing in the background or a water. It's, it's something that just goes and builds. It's almost as important as yeah. some of the video. 
to build and to engage Probably your viewer and, and, and draw you in. It, it's a it's a huge component. And if you just bought a, a video camera and want to start filming your hunts, it's that's not something um, that you know is taught very well. I don't think it's something that you have to learn over time, right. um, and can be a, a huge differentiator in the final product that goes to air. Right. Yeah. I always said it's you know just as important to have great sound as is the visual image. And uh, now if you honestly looked at great sound design, you would then have to look at the project files for the edit itself and see the layering. Like, you know, if you tore our edit apart, Mm -hmm. you would see that, you know, Andrew and Taylor and, and even Aaron, it's about, it has seven different channels of audio running at the same time simultaneously that really, you know, some of it's gnat sound, you know, which could be water, crickets, birds in the background. Then there's some music score under there. Then there's sound effects that are under there that could be mm-hmm. like drum hits that accentuate that that scene, whether it builds tension. Right. Or whatever. Um, then there's just you know your regular mic audio that the talent is wearing itself, and then there could be you know wind sounds. So a lot, a lot of times it again it's several layers deep, and nobody picks up on that. And I, I always complained, <laughs> you know, I wouldn't pick on you as much as I would Mr. Jeff Wayne, who you know was your predecessor. That I would say to you know, hey Jeff, it's more about than just a great you know, cut of music that was edited to that people that was judging that category, they would say, well, I really like that score of music because there was uh, obviously more that went into it. And I always kind of mimicked ourselves a little bit after like National Geographic. If you watch their sound design, it's unbelievable. They have, you know, this lion running across the desert after this gazelle or whatever. And you hear this line. Native, you know, native drums. You can yeah. hear the native drums. Yeah. yeah, and they got all this all this music and drum roll and everything playing and the intensities there. But they also got the, you know, the feet hitting the ground. And then they also got the lion, you know, growling or yeah. just making... What, what was the lion doing? <laughs> making some stupid sound. And I'm thinking, what, I'm sure they have some great mics, parabolic mics or something sure. to pick up some of that. Uh, but a lot of that is post. It's done in the edit. Right. And, Hate to, you know, deliver most of our secrets, but, you know, sometimes we, we take a, a deer walking through the woods, um, you know, on a, on a cold morning and maybe the snow is crunchy and we take that sound and we accentuate it mm-hmm. where we'll bring it into the edit and we'll, we'll boost that sound up or we'll bring that to a very high level. So you hear that walking and you hear uh, the sounds that really us hunters all pay attention to subliminally when we're out hunting, it, it makes the whole scene because right. we've been there in the early morning hours. We've been there when the woods is waking up. It, it, it would do my show injustice if I had an early morning scene and didn't, you didn't hear those sounds of the woods waking up. So that's how, you know, I think our show is a little bit different. Like you said. Yeah. I, you know, Scent and smell is like one of the most powerful senses, but you can't really do that <laughs> through TV. So if you're if you're not bombarding the audio in a good way, if you're not satisfying that, you're missing a whole element of your TV show. And it, you know, I know you don't want to give a lot of trade secrets away, but uh, I have an interest in helping others raise the standard as well. And I think there are some very basic things that when when somebody will submit something to me, and I'll take a look at it. And I'm like, you know, there's there's a, a few really simple things. Like, you know, first of all, it's like, you know, turn the auto, turn the auto focus off. You can see him doing that. <laughs> um, you know, and, and I think Steve Puppy gave me a very good suggestion. You know, I, I haven't done a lot of filming um, or editing for that matter, but I, I did learn that when you're in a tree stand and you're, you're uh, you've got a, a camera on the the the, the camera pod thing. Um, don't grab this. Don't grab the stick to pan. Just kind of push it. You'll get a, a lot smoother pan. And, right. and and you can see there's some real basic things that people 
can do filming their own hunts or filming for somebody else. Uh, the other piece of equipment you have to use would be, you know, it's hard and people don't like whispering in the tree stand. You have to get good microphones and, you know, the good wireless mics are, are really key because you, you can, you can pick some of that up. And I mean, there's, somebody will submit me something to take to screen and, and give a look. And there's like 10 very simple things that will help them kind of raise the bar. What, give us a couple examples. Well, the, the one, the, a, a big differentiator for me when I, when, I, when I look at some shows like yours compared to others is you can see, uh, you talked about the layering and the audio. You can also see how many edits they're making. You know, so right. if somebody rolls a piece of video for 45 seconds and it's, you know, it's an animal coming in and there's a couple camera shakes and there's some other, you know, it's, it's just, you know, that works for, for some brands and for some shows, but you can just tell it's just, it's not, it's not highly produced. Whereas, you know, your show, you are literally down to probably the half second or down to, you know, 15 frames or whatever it is you're analyzing every second of that show. So shots like that probably wouldn't make it where you would, if you had an animal coming in and you, and there was a camera shake, you'd probably do a cutaway to something else or something else is going on or show, you know, show the hunter or show something that's getting in. So there's a lot of people that, uh, that they don't understand, you know, we call it, it's like lazy editing and you get a lot of lazy shooting as well. So, you know, if you don't, I know you're a, a hyperactive, I've filmed with you, a hyperactive shooter. You are shooting a lot of different things. And so uh, depending on what your mindset is going into the field, I mean, if, if you don't get it on camera, it didn't happen. There's a lot of things you think you can fix in post, but the reality is if you don't get that interview or if you don't get that soundbite, and you know, and it's okay to do some recreation to help to help build that, but it's very hard to uh, have the same level of intensity and emotion, you know, to go back later. And, yeah, right. and how many times early in your <laughs> career did you say, okay, well, I didn't get that, but we'll go, go back, back and later. get it. And then it's like, no, it, <laughs> never you, do. You can't. No. You know, because sometimes the weather changes or the season changes or, you know, th there's all sorts of oh things. And, you know, and that, that's the other thing about, you know, what you're able to do that that's impressive. And, and, and it, you're not alone in our space at, at, right. at outdoor channel and sportsman's channel. We deal, we're dealing with the best of the best, I but, uh, uh, despite what some people think, you that's know, what really keeps me motivated. Right. Is yeah, there's exactly. some really great producers out there. Right. Better than me. Right. But you know, one element that you can't control is the animal and they don't always cooperate. So in hunting, I you know, personally, when I was running a production company, we had some guys in the field from like August 25th to Christmas and they had like eight tags and they had like, you know, they shot two animals and we were banking on our whole season. It's like, it's hard to recover from that, but you can't control the weather. You can't, you know, force these animals coming. This is all fair chase hunting and this right. is, you know, in big game and it's, it's hard hunting. You're battling a lot of different things. So, um, it's, it's pretty impressive when, you know, and so the episode that we screened today is a Saskatchewan deer, your Saskatchewan yep. deer. And I think you mentioned 200 hours in a blind and three trips to Canada to actually get it done, you know, and it's all melted down into 22 minutes of an episode. That's crazy. Yeah. And, and, and people think you, you I, I watched the episode. You don't make it look easy because it wasn't an easy hunt. You actually you did a good job of having people experience the pain that you went through to do it. And yeah, you know, right. It you got to take them on that emotional roller coaster, which right. all hunters can relate to. Uh, you know, often we get a lot of people the comment say, you know, te television, it's all like perfect, and and that's a bit of our downfall as producers. We are so limited on time. Right. You kind of look at you know, all the content and you've got to filter through it, but we try to, you know, take the, the viewer or the fan through those hills and valleys. So, you know, it's an emotional roller coaster that they can relate to. They know right. that they've been there, done that. So that's, I like showing the downfalls. I, I mean, we've had more downfalls than we've had, you know, the positives, right. but it's, uh, you know, there's a real, not a trick to it, but again, I think it's paying attention to the details. I, and, and, and that goes all the way back. It starts, there's so much that goes into the actual production side, all the way from the pre-planning, 
setting up your hunt schedules, where you're going, when right. you're going. Where you're going with, I mean, right. you know, if, if I thought that I was going to make a great television series here in the middle of October or late in December, I would be missing the best part of the season. So we try to plan our schedules accordingly to put ourselves in places that, you know, give us the best opportunity. And then, of course, right down to when we go and get into those setups, like when we go uh, to Saskatchewan and we go set up a blind to hunt a deer, I pay attention to where the sun's going to come up, you know, because the last thing I want is the sun where we're fighting against the sun and it's distracting from the video. I want it to help accentuate the video, whether we're filming kind of into the sun with backlighting, that's a cool effect, right? especially in an early morning where the breath is backlit. You know, it accentuates a deer breathing or matter of fact, we just did a bear hunt with my daughter and we're hunting in the morning, which we never bear hunt in the morning. That's a very rare occasion. She's the evening hunting, but we set up and it was a backlit scene and this bear comes walking in and it's early morning and his breath is just coming out and it, it actually really made that scene look extra cool and just the glow backlights their hair and stuff and or their antlers whatever i we pay attention to a lot of that the people just they see the show and they're like man your video is so you know much different than the rest i mean it, it comes down to those kind of details right. and you know it, and then again at the end of the day you're still hunting a wild animal that does not read a script um you know i always said you know yeah, it's it's hard enough to go out there and just to sit in the cold for you know a long period of time or climb a mountains that are fifteen thousand feet or whatever they are, right. and and to do it with camera gear. But you know then you're chasing around a critter that does not want to be taken on camera. Right. You know what's impressive for me with you and and a lot of our other producers is you, you are, and, and I think a lot of your fans operate at a high level as well in terms of for their own hunts. They know what it takes to put in the time, whether they're doing food plots or whether they're just scouting. Uh, you know, they know what it takes to be a high-end hunter and have have that kind of success. And you operate at that level, as do a lot of our producers. And then on top of it, then you're filming a high-quality production on your own. You know, it's not like you're traveling with five people and an audio guy and whatever. These are all so you have to be dialed in on the hunt side and dialed in on the production side, which it's like running a marathon with ankle weights on, you know, it's yeah. just, uh, <laughs> I, I get it. I, I don't do a lot on camera cause I've got a face for radio. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. Actually, but, yeah. um, that's why we're doing right. it together, but it's, and, but it's hard. And, it, and then, you know, I get it. It's a, it's a, it's a profession as well. And, and you, you, you've made a, a great living out of it, but it's a lot easier just to sneak out to a tree stand by yourself, no camera, no people, no nothing. And oh. I mean, over your career, how many deer have you had to pass because there was not enough camera light? You know? Right. A lot. Yeah. I mean, uh, somebody just asked me that the other day. They're like, you know, do you ever shoot anything off camera? There's, I can't remember the last time I ever went to the woods without a camera. And I think the main reason for me, you know, I would feel really weird about that if I went you know, just on a hunt without trying to capture it. But I mean, how many times have you been in the woods or you've been somewhere and you're like, oh, I wish you would have had a camera. That was a cool scene. Well, for us, we always have the camera. So we, we don't want to miss that moment or that opportunity. And that's what it's, you know, always kind of drives us, no pun intended, to, you know, be motivated to get those kind of scenes and to not miss anything. Right. Um, And it's just, it's, so second nature now uh, that's all i've ever done is you just know, carry the camera and you know, be behind the camera in front of it and i don't like seeing myself honestly i hate seeing myself on tv i i that's why i have nicole you know she brings the beauty to the to the screen but um it's what i do it's what i've always done i've done this for what 30 plus years um and i have to feed five children with it so i you know I have to step in front of it as well. And I love hunting. I mean, I, I honestly do. And that's kind of what I appreciate about some of, uh, you know, the authentic hunters that you have on the network, whether mm-hmm. it's Roger Raglan or the, anybody. You know, I have lots of respect. Mark and Terry Drury, guys that are authentic people that are really, 
they they would be hunting at that same level if they didn't have a TV show. Right. Same, just like you know that I would. I would I would always want to be out there, you know, if I had an eight to five job. I just got lucky and fell into this at the right time, you know. So it's all kind of it's all panned out over the years, and of course we're you know, pushing this production level. And we'll talk more about the new era and what you, you know, the direction you think uh, that we got to go. But um, yeah, it's really in a, a change mode. Give us a little bit of your kind of I, thoughts on that. I, I was hoping you were going to tell me the direction that we have to go because, uh, you know, we both lived through some technology evolution. Um, you know, I, I remember I was an independent producer when uh, HD cameras came out, and you know the investment in equipment was substantial. I think the we spent well over a quarter million dollars on camera gear at Roncher Productions in that first transition, and you know Sony XD cameras and uh, and all the storage and everything that went with it, and changing all the workflow and the computers yeah, and to, whatnot, uh, and uh, um, nonlinear. That that's that was crazy right. evolution. I remember when we. You know, when I really came in the business, we were running beta beta cams, those big giant boat anchors. I mean, you could anchor a ship with one of them. They weighed so much, and they're yeah. huge. They're impressive to see. You know, when right. when a cameraman walked into uh, into uh, a crowd or whatever, and they had a beta cam on their shoulders, people looked and they're like, "Wow, that that that's." Now you have to put like a cooler on your shoulder to make that same have that same right. kind of impact, right. but the cameras are smaller. Yeah, you notice nowadays in like a you know news broadcast or something, guys that have these little handheld, you know, type of uh, DSLR type of things and shooting that streaming that video, it's really changed. And I always say that's that's kind of what's helped and hurt the business. I think that with technology and the way that that went. If it was still back in the day when you had to buy an $80,000 beta camera, then you had to spend an extra $75,000, $80,000 on a playback deck. And I, I mean, the tapes were 30-minute tapes. Those weren't cheap. Right. It was just super expensive to even, you know, to get geared To do up. it right. It, and, it's, and it's still, I think, the cost of cameras and some of equipment has, has certainly gone down but still to do it right and all the computer gear that you need to have like full hd monitors you know right. makes a big difference in your color correction and what that final product will look like if you're not using an hd monitor you, you're not able to correct it to i think to the to an appropriate level that's yeah, good for broadcast but yeah. so now you know we're talking about shooting in 4k because remember the networks you know required HD but didn't broadcast in HD. Now HD is pretty much standard across the board and you have 4K coming out. But at the same time, you have a lot of people consuming content on uh, laptops or on a cell phone and uh, they're not as uh, discriminating about the quality as they used to. You know, I, I said that you know we, we, when we did that transition, it's like everybody wanted a 70-inch flat-screen TV, full HD, and those were you know $10,000 televisions right. so that you could experience that full HD, which was kind of funny because if you remember like news broadcasts when they first switched to HD, it's like you could see the cake makeup on all <laughs> of the – it's like it wasn't really attractive for that. But for our space, it was fantastic to get really high-quality yeah, the scenery images, and the animals. Right? Absolutely. You could see their – you know, right. eyelashes and whatever else. So now we're talking like red camera, talking 4K, and and um, the the real challenge will be um, as demographics shift and how people consume their media. You know, I still think that you know television is will be here forever. I mean, it, it's it's and, and content, however it's delivered, is still a very important part. Um, but it costs money. It takes time to create a very refined product like that. And I don't think um, low end, you know, cell phone camera, little shots, little, you know, low production value. I don't think that replaces the high end. I think it, it just kind of complements it. That's what we're doing here today. Uh, honestly, right. I mean, this certainly not... is not high quality in terms <laughs> of your, your guest. The set is beautiful, though. I love this. This is That's awesome. pretty cool. Yeah. Right down in the in our basement here at the right, Ribbon but, headquarters. But you're right. We're you know you're producing content for your fans, and so they can watch your high end episodes. They can right. visit uh, your social media outlets. They can see this video podcast. They can you know experience the Driven brand um, in a lot of different ways. And I think that's the important thing is as 
the market shifts, as technology changes, as viewer tendencies change, we all have to evolve and, and, and we are, and the networks are. And um, uh, I still think that uh, there's a strong future um, in traditional television because it's, it's a, you know, for 10, 15 years, people have said magazines are dead and they're not, you know, and they may have uh, come off of their peaks, but there's still a strong group of enthusiasts who love to get their uh, Oh, magazine. for sure. Like, uh, you know, Nicole was just talking to her dad. Of course, he, old school, and he mm-hmm. watches network television. That's it. He don't consume anything else. I mean, you don't, right. he don't watch any digital stuff, on, especially on his mobile. He still has a flip phone, you know, like my dad. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a lot. There's a core group of, you know, the audience people that are still network watchers. Right. Um, and consume long form stuff, but then we have the millennials, and 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 our lifestyle is you know a lot quicker than it used to be. So everybody don't have a lot of time to sit down and, and watch. But the good part is they can watch independently now through technology. You know you can right. record our show and watch it at you know at will when they want. Right. Well, and but you can't always believe everything in the media. I mean, because millennials still consume a huge amount of t- traditional television. Right. I mean, it, it's not like they've stopped, they right? Yeah, right. And even my son, I have a son who's 19. He'll still, you know, he doesn't subscribe right now, but, you know, he still watches it, you know, where he's at. He does consume more on his phone, but um, it's it's hard as a, as a producer to think forward, you know, because all you think about is like, right now, I need to make sure that I'm doing this, that, or the other thing. Well, you know, the technology and the hardware evolves where, you know, five years ago, you couldn't watch the things on your cell phone that you can now because of the screen size or the processor speed or the data amount. So now, uh, you know, the carriers uh, offer unlimited data. Because right. before, I, I had yeah, a, we were limited. I, I sent a video to somebody sitting next to me, and she's like, "Well, I can't look at it because I uh, I'm out of data." And it was like the first day of the month. I'm like, "How, how can you be out of data on the first day?" Of your month? I pushed the limits. I think because I got three kids and my wife and myself right. on it. I pushed the limits at the back end of the month, but uh, pushed the limits of an unlimited plan. Um, but that technology has evolved and will continue to evolve, so that it is you know. When we started, you know, the internet wasn't even a thing, right? And then you went into dial-up and, you know, and it's like the the idea of being able to send an image uh, of a deer to a friend and say, this is the deer that we're going after. Because maybe, you know, if you remember the early uh, trail cameras, they were like, you had to take them into the pharmacy or whatever to get the drugstore to yeah. get processed, right? Yeah, and all you got was 35 pictures of a leaf. Of a doe. <laughs> of, <laughs> of one doe. And it, <laughs> duh, I got that. But yeah. I was way, I was even before that when you strung a, you know, a thread across from one device a to A trip wire for yeah, the <laughs> a trip wire and, yeah. and, and a trip the time when that, that string was broken yeah. or interrupted. And you're like, this is revolutionary. This is going to change right. my style of hunting. Of course, I mean, eventually it did. But right. I mean, well, because now I get text alerts from I've got three cameras out and I get text alerts. Uh, and, and it's it's changed the way we hunt, you know, um, because now I know actually I, I use that um, like I, I do a lot of predator hunting. And it was nice to have remote cameras. Be, I got this property I can hunt. And they're not. There's not always coyotes in the area. But if I get a get one on a camera, I know. Okay, hey, there was a coyote here overnight, so I know they're in this they're in area. area. So yeah. it, it just helps. You use that to your advantage to help be yeah. successful. And but so back to the TV thing. I, I just think, um, just like any business that is going through significant change, you just have to watch. You know, don't and underestimate what all the carriers are doing to make sure that television is strong and entertaining and viable and delivering value to its consumers. So um, uh, I'm, I'm not an alarmist when it comes to that. I don't know what the future holds, but as technology evolves, as viewer tendencies evolves, we're as a network committed to making sure a viewer can watch our content anywhere and everywhere they want. Now, that doesn't mean we're available to 100 million homes, but we're striving to do that. But if you want to watch Outdoor Channel right now on a cell phone, you know we're carried on DirecTV now. We're carried on Sling TV and and several others where you can watch it live, and you can also watch video on demand, which has been around for decades. Mm-hmm. But 
it's becoming more and more, um, uh, I think, it's easier to connect to. Right. So if I want to watch Driven TV, I don't have to go, uh, you know, Tuesday nights, 9.30 p.m. Eastern on Outdoor Channel. I can go Sling TV, pull up Driven TV, and I can see the current episode. Or if there's things I've recorded, I can watch it. So Let's talk about MOTV some, because uh, that's you know, something that's really become pretty popular um since you guys have launched it and you know uh obviously different from just watching standard network stuff how tell me about m motv and and how that has really kind of evolved and where it's going yeah motv is is really the netflix for outdoor television it's the home of the you know uh, hands down the largest library of outdoor hunt shoot fish programming um and, uh, you know, it's available in Apple iTunes Store. It's available Google Play. Uh, we're launching it on Hulu here um, oh, as we speak, cool. which will be huge. It's uh, rolling out on Amazon. Um, it's, it's growing every single day, and the metrics are going in the right direction. But it, it's also why I'm not an alarmist about technology, because everybody says, well, you have to do this, and then you do it, and it's like, uh, you know, and, and, and the market needs to catch up. So I think the market is catching up, but we've solved some pretty big problems. It's, it's not an original idea. There were others who had tried this before, but I don't think the technology was was right. You couldn't stream enough. You couldn't stream it fast enough. People didn't have broadband internet. So even to try to download it, you know, it would take to, take yeah. a long time to buffer the video and the image wasn't there, you know, and we had a team of engineers that developed a product so that when you click it, you've got like less than a second of response time and it loads and it loads in the background. So you're watching a high quality image early on. And, um, and you, you know, get to, I mean, you're watching all the major content that, in top brands across the the platform, the, yeah, the, the you know the the who's who of outdoor television are, are all there. I mean, and, and exclusively, and that's part of the value that we bring. Because you see, if if uh, if the the kids these days or millennials aren't buying cable or satellite television, they want to build their own um, you know offering. They want Netflix and they want ESPN. Well, we have My Outdoor TV, which can be part of that that skinny bundle that they're they're cobbling together um and what's what's good you know and and it's not the current season but it's uh, within six months or so of when uh episodes air on the network it moves to motv mm -hmm. and people have asked about that well they're old episodes but these are evergreen episodes and we we have a lot of re we have our own research department so we know a fair amount about our market and about our consumers and how they view and, and i would think um you know when you're producing 20 episodes a year of driven tv your most ardent fans can't watch all 20. no we no want them to yeah uh, but the reality is your your biggest fans will tune in when they can as much as they can they may dvr it and we capture some of that data as well and they'll watch it on their own time but there's a lot of driven tv that your fans have never seen that's available now on MOTV. So if you right. want to binge watch, we've got a, a hundred episodes of Driven TV. Yeah, that's some some quality binge watch. We've got like fourteen thousand episodes. There, Mitch, there's nobody that's gonna watch Driven TV that much. Here. They should. <laughs> they should. They would. They would be entertained, you know, and and educated at the same time. So so yeah. So we're we're very excited um, as a platform. You know, it's different than you know. A lot of people say, well, I wish it was free. Well, that's the difference. You know, the, you, there are options for you that are free, but you know, you, in life, you generally get what you pay for. This is not free because it's high quality. They're the best of the best. It's you know, and it's very robust. We have some very cool. I told you this is going to be this is the Netflix of of uh, the outdoors. You know, what you should expect is we don't believe uh, fourteen thousand episodes are what are going to continue right. to feed MOTV and, and get it to grow. Just like Netflix, when they started out, I remember, you know, Netflix, you could, uh, it was a mail, a mail order DVD. You could, you could, you know, s select your DVD, they'd mail it to you, you'd watch it, you'd send your DVD back. Well, then it changed to a whole online model. And then it changed to an original programming model. And we do have uh, initiatives in development so that we'll have new content going to MOTV. Original and it's original content That's that hasn't aired on the linear channel. But you know, it's a it's a slow process. We all want it now, but uh, it's been a couple of years in development rollout, and there's been you know, hiccups, and the technology has evolved, and 
but we've we've weathered that storm. It's been a huge undertaking, and I think it's an important piece of um, the mix for this industry in making sure that content is available globally because we have launched that in um, it, it's available worldwide. There's really no um, you know, no place it's not available other than probably China where they block it or something. <laughs> but um, uh, but we're seeing a lot of uptick um, uh, internationally. And I've talked to some producers who are getting some feedback internationally. I've also talked to a few producers who have generated business for their partners whether they be an outfitter, one was a high-end um, uh, fishing outfit in Central America who booked four or five trips off of one episode that right. aired on MOTV, which which is great because we have a unique business model where we are creating lifestyle content and it's funded by the manufacturers who advertise on the show. So it's nice to see that uh, that's paying dividends for those advertisers. That's pretty cool. You know, I, I think some of that, you know, that content from other countries uh like you guys uh i just see some promos playing on the outdoor channel right now for some foreign content that you're bringing in yeah that's pretty cool tell us about that well we're, we're you know we're trying to um uh, present a, a broad mix of content and try to you know right. do some things differently uh but we acquired a library overseas a company called hunter's video and uh, in Europe, driven boar hunts and the roe deer hunts, and there's some other. It, it, they they hunt differently in right. Europe, but it doesn't mean it doesn't cross over. Particularly with uh, you know, there's a uh, a lot of interest in America in hog hunting because of the damage that hogs are causing, and that. So we you know we've we've taken. Um, it was a, a series that had uh, a kind of global success, uh, Wild Boar Fever. I think they're on season nine or ten of Wild Boar Fever uh, and have turned that into something uh, in a little bit more of an American style. Uh, but to introduce driven boar hunts and some of the other hunts to this American market. And I, I wouldn't say I was skeptical, but I, you know, the, from a production standpoint, to take a library of footage that we used to create a long form DVD and turn it into a season as you know, it's a heavy burden to lay on a team of producers and editors. Yeah. Exactly. And so, you know, I've screened a couple episodes of it and I was, I was very impressed with the final product because you and I both had the same questions about, well, driven boar hunting. It's a bunch of, you know, no, it's a, a it's clarification. A it's not like us driven people. It's some, no, no, it's like, Driving, driving, yeah, running hogs through the woods with dogs to guys who teetoters standing up in a tree with a beret shooting at hogs as they pass by. And there's a lot more to it when you kind of peel the uh, the onion back and, and yep. get to understand. And, and what's also really cool about it is the the tradition. I mean, we have our own traditions in right. hunting that, and we have things we do, and a lot of those are very personal. Well, in you know, in in these areas, a lot of them are very, very traditional. You know, like like the they'll bring out the horns and play music. And I know that they traditionally like they shoot a hog or a roe deer, and they'll they'll put a a, a branch in that in, animal's in mouth thing, out, of, yeah. out of respect to uh, you know as that animal's last meal. So it is kind of cool to see um, different I, styles and yeah, different areas. I, I think that's what has intrigued me about it. It's right. something different that you would not ever see. I, I think a conversation that can be born out of what is aired on wild boar fever is what will hunting look like in America in 50 years? Because yeah, in Europe be. where your population densities are, are much closer, I lived in France for four years and I believe I saw what would be considered a hunting store. But I mean, it, it was not, you know, it, it was not like, you know, academy sports. Okay. It right. was just very, you know, the, the clothing was just very traditional. Um, you know, the firearms were very, it was just a, a very unique boutique style. They just don't have that culture partly because they don't have access to land and hunting uh, overseas by and large is reserved for uh, a certain class and, and even fishing to a certain degree. It's just culturally, it's not um, uh, where it is with us in America. So I think it's interesting to show some of that because there's people who today who will say, well, you know, unless you have private land uh, or something, you know, you're not going to be able to find a place. There's people today who struggle to find, uh, you know, public ground. Oh, uh, Yeah. So that's a real issue. And this is a good segue into what I want to talk about next because, you know, we, we talk about how hunting is changing and evolving. And, of course, 
you hear a lot about how the numbers are declining and stuff like that. I think from like 2011 through 2016, we lost 2.2 million hunters. And it's not that those people just quit quit hunting because they didn't think it was cool anymore or whatever. There's just simply a lot of them that are getting older. The baby boomers, you know, are getting older. But let's let's talk about what's near and dear to both, you know, you and, and our hearts. So it's getting these young people out there in the field. And, of course, you know, this year we got a chance to uh, share some hunting experiences with your son, and uh, you came down and hunted here, and then we brought our kids, uh, you know, they kind of all partaked in this youth hunting event, and, uh, you know, it's getting those kids out there, teaching them about the outdoors and making it a positive experience, you know. Give us your take on, you know, the future of hunting and and getting these kids involved. Yeah, you know, I think it's, I'm not an alarmist on the numbers. I think some of the numbers um, you are, are debatable. Um, is there a decline in hunting? I, you know, there's a lot of things you can measure in terms of retail and, and um, uh, license sales, but there's, right. is, there's issues around measure using license mm-hmm. to measure that. Because um, if you were applying for Iowa and you're not, you're waiting five years to get a tag, you would say that there's more hunters than there ever was before. Right. You know, there's, there's more demand on certainly on tags. Right. In so yeah, I think on the high end, there's probably higher demand, but you're right. The, the, you know, we need more masses of people hunting. So, you know, that's a big part of our push at the network is to how do we engage? It's partly why we've done things on the programming side, uh, with duck dynasty or deadliest catch or wicked tuna or our movies, which I know you don't like any of those, but the reality is they're bringing in a lot of viewers. So our job at the network is, you know, they're, they're new viewers that we identified through research that, are attainable to us to find us and to watch our show Mm -hmm. and we have we have research that shows that's been successful in doing that but so our goal is bring in try to try to grow this base of support for programming and then um, help them understand there's other great shows like driven tv on there with the ultimate goal of getting them to participate you know i think that there we we as outdoors men and women have an absolute obligation to share this um to preserve the sport so i I know we both we both believe that and we do a lot for that but you know because i don't aspire to be uh uh, like a hugely successful um hunter you know i i don't have a lot of space in my house Uh, you're not giving yourself enough credit mitch no well i i I don't actually i mean i just i haven't uh i i well, I've been around Mitch's hunting, and uh, he's probably very spot on on that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I've, I've, I've. He likes at, watching more than he does exactly. shooting. <laughs> no, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna wait for that right shot. But I find, like, I love to turkey hunt, yeah. and I, I have no problem shooting a turkey anytime. And I've seen you bust some predators at like seven, eight hundred yards. No, it was some, two, two ninety maybe. Something but, like uh, ridiculous um, amount. I, I, but I absolutely. 100% of the time would rather take somebody else turkey hunting than just going by myself and shooting a turkey myself. Because I, I love calling. I love, I'm not very good at it, but I, I've had success. And to, to call in a turkey for my kid or to call in a turkey for yeah. someone who's never turkey hunted before is so much fun. And then to take my kids deer hunting and take their friends and, and really to just always talk about it in a very positive way um i think is very important now the other thing i think the network is is pushing and the networks and very important is you know when there is um if if there's a plane crash the airlines come together and work to resolve issues around it if there is a, a shooting or something gun related you know the nra steps in and leads and helps people understand and that to, to keep things you know in a neutral ground if there's an issue with wildlife like you know an attack of an animal at a zoo jack hannah's on cnn within four hours yeah talking about what it means how why this happened how could this happen in that when there are issues in hunting it, you know the the organizations that you would expect to step up the safari clubs of the world and that really haven't had that strong voice so the network is 
proactively we're building a conservation website. Uh, we want to have a repository. We want to work with our producers to make sure that when there's an issue like a, the Cecil the Lion thing, that um, we can at least insert our message, which is a, an amazing message of conservation and preservation of wildlife. And it's counterintuitive for people to think that by hunting animals, I can save animals, but we have a lot of information that we can, we can share to help tell that story. And so as a network, we're putting that out there. We're investing in the, re the resources necessary to have this conservation website so that if there is another incident, that we can at least maintain that middle ground. Because and it goes straight back to um, promoting and preserving hunting. I think, unfortunately, the Cecil the Lion thing, you know, there was a lot of misinformation. There was a lot of bad information or just people pushing their own agenda. And there was nobody there to say, wait a minute, this is how it really goes down. And, and you know, people think they can, you know, regulate what's going on in Africa, you know, sitting in their chair in, in Minneapolis. It's like, no, it's a completely different world. And you don't understand. You don't understand elephant hunting and the impact on the community or the hunt, impact of hunting on those communities. Yeah, major influence. Right. So the networks were we are trying to uh, promote that as part of it. it's it's conservation, but it's also helping to grow participation. We want it, you know, we, we just need it. And if you know Shane Mahoney, who's a, a conservationist, um, we've had some interaction with Shane. He's an amazing, uh, he's a biologist, conservationist and that. You know, the, the goal is not to win over everybody into our camp and turn everybody into a hunter. It's not for everybody. You people, Some people just, they're just not ever going to right. do that. That's fine. But we do need to make sure that it's acceptable. Like, you know, like, rock climbing. Uh, my boss tells a story about a sister who, who has a, a service guy comes to her house and, and she's just you know, chatting with him. What are you doing this week? Oh, I'm going to go out with my son. And the guy wasn't comfortable telling her that they were going hunting. Really? And, and I think we've, we've had, we've had those encounters ourselves oh, yeah. of people just, you know, and I'm not talking about just people, you know, anti-hunting. He's like, well, oh, you hunt? It's like, oh, yeah, yeah. of course. I, I, I got hunt. some strange looks driving a camouflage truck through metropolitan areas yeah. before. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, and, and, and people don't, if, they, if they've never experienced what we experience as hunters, they don't get it. For, for me, you know, last year on the youth hunt here, um, the experience includes, you know, a two and a half hour drive with your kid, talking, the conversations that you have with your kids on the road. It's like I, I took one of my sons to Michigan last year. It was a 10 hour drive. And it's like, you know, we talked for you. Know, you have a captive audience there, right? When, and, and 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 that was before important. Fortnite, so we'll uh. see. We'll see what this fall goes. How this goes. I hope there's no service wherever we're. Uh, you need to kill that battery in that cell phone. Yeah, absolutely. But you know, you know, you get it. We all get it. That's that's really why we're all driven hunters because it's it's the whole experience. The actual harvest of an animal is is a part of it. But it's part of it because we have all of the preparation time. I've been shooting my bow a ton this fall. I'm getting ready for a yeah, big hunt. Yeah, you are leaving for an elk hunt right. here pretty soon. So I'm shooting my bow every single day, and I'm shooting it with my 14-year-old son. He's shooting his bow. The whole time we're doing this, we're talking. We're talking about shooting. We're talking about life. We're talking about hunting. We're talking about fishing. We're talking about girls and school. Yeah, not specific girls. Don't worry, we're not. I wish you had a girl that you were shooting with, and you'd be talking about boys, and you would be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. it would be a whole different conversation. Yes, I'm. A, I'm a father of three boys. Yeah, uh, he's got girls in his. Uh, it, ironically, universe, so. I've been talking to my girls while we've been shooting, and I've been telling them to stay away from Mitch's sons. <laughs> no, we've got good kids who uh, right, yeah, and so they they get it, and right. um, and and we do a lot of fishing as well, and. Um, it's the same experience. I mean, yes, you're fishing, but you know what's what's the is it a Trace Adkins song or a Toby Keith song? Well, I think it's Trace Adkins. You know, she thinks we're just fishing, right? Yeah, I fish. You're, I fish every every chance I get with my kids because it's like they they won't sit at home. That's right. Around the table with me for four hours right. and talk, but they'll sit in my boat for eight hours and we'll talk about a lot of different things. That's you know what you hit it spot on um you know you're just developing those relationships that normally a lot of people don't get a chance to do and you know the outdoors brings it together right and uh you know so many times you know us hunters just get labeled as you know people that you know have an agenda but truly 
you know, there's more to it. And uh, yeah, it's the same way with us. Right. You know, we naturally bring our kids in. They see them on the TV show. I don't threaten them. I don't bait them in. Uh, I just let them, if they don't want to be, you know, go hunting on camera, they don't have to. Right. Matter of fact, Carson, um, who is grown up on camera, last year or so now he is had more fun and enjoyment hanging out with his buddies and going hunting uh right across the road here they they all hang out and they kind of he's going through that phase but you know we shared a lot of time in the you know earlier days you know just together and learned about hunting now he's taking uh, my neighbors told me he said you know father to the kids that uh, my son's hanging out with he said yeah the other day they they showed me a a pond that they dug all by hand and they're so proud of it and he goes and he's like where did you learn that he goes well i learned it from my dad so yeah. you know he's applying stuff that he's already learned from me taking it elsewhere now applying it that's yeah. pretty cool it makes you feel proud that you know that what you're doing makes a difference and i know your kids the same way you know you got great kids and and uh they're already being very successful at at hunting and yeah, it's it's pretty cool to to see. We need more mentors and people like that, you know, to you know be a part of the kids' lives and get out there and make a difference. So, yeah, you know, because those kids will grow up that way, and hopefully carry on that tradition, taking their kids and neighbor kids and whatever else out. So absolutely, I applaud you. So before we wrap it up, you're going hunting. Tell me, you know, you're going elk hunting. I'm doing my first archery elk hunt it's actually my first elk hunt um what are you shooting what kind of bow i'm shooting a matthews triax nice and uh it's no excuse then on the weaponry let me let me let me say this and this is not meant to be a sponsor plug but this is my actual experience (laughs) i was hoping you were going to say matthews actually (laughs) yes uh, no but i've i um i'm shooting a matthews i've shot other high quality bows and i had a bow that i was pretty comfortable with um pretty comfortable passing deer last year not shooting him with my old bow uh but just it was just a nice bow it was comfortable i was I, what brand I had, was that Mitch? Um, do you want to know <laughs> yeah oh, why not it? it's a new breed it was a new breed oh okay yeah a new breed bow from alabama very nice bow out of the box high quality yeah very happy with that but uh for this hunt i wanted to i wanted to go Back to the Matthews family. I shot a Matthews previously and yeah. uh, had read good reviews. Um, I shot the Triax for the first time at ATA last year, and it it blew me away. It, it I, I couldn't believe how smooth it was, the let off on it, and just no oh, vibration. No, it, it was so nice. I was like, wow. I, I like that first shot. I, I think I seriously said, wow. I said I did not expect it to be that right. Awesome. So uh, oh, they yeah. hit a home run with that triax. I yeah. I talked to so many people, even people that have not ever been Matthew shooters, right. and they again like you picked up the bow, shot it, and they liked it. Right. And you know. so I just you know I paid for my bow. I don't. I'm not a TV TV star, so I pay for it. And Listen by choice. We right? don't get all those free bows right. either. No, but so uh, and I'm pretty happy with it. So now I've yeah. been shooting it, and it's um, it's a very. I'm I'm happy how quickly I've been able just to kind of get dialed in, and I have some questions for after this about uh, what I need to be doing. But I've been shooting a lot, and I'm shooting with accuracy, and now right. I'm, I'm really kind of I'm a, I'm a month away from my hunt, a little bit more than a month and almost a month and a half away. Or be here um, before you know it. Yeah, so I want to be uh, really you know dialed in, and I'm, I'm anticipating um, some cl- up close shots. I hope, but I can't. I don't know how I'm going to react. Um, oh, you're gonna fall! I, I go crazy when a tur- when a gobbler comes in and he's strutting oh. and drumming, and you can feel the vibration. Oh. So, uh, like, I, I've wait till you add that massive rack and a thousand pound yeah. animal just screaming at you. I may have to wear diapers, is what I'm thinking, <laughs> you are. because I I don't know what I'm gonna do when that happens. So, you know, and the reality is, like, you you, you know how I hunt. I mean, I'm not out there. I, first of all, I don't need a 350 inch bull for my first for my first elk. You know, I'm so excited just to have the opportunity to. It will look it. like a 350, even if. It's yeah, a raghorn exactly. standing in front of yeah. you screaming. And yeah. just remember one thing. Don't shoot high. And and get off the shoulder because so many people, right. you know, when an elk is called in and it's in your face, um, 
you know, they misjudge it. You know, you, it's not a lot of times where you can grab your rangefinder and they're just, they got you pinned down. Right. Cause they're looking for that cow that they heard and any little movement they catch. So your movements have to be at a minimum. And so you're always, you know, I would just make sure that you, you know, check your ranges from tree to tree, know your ranges. And when yeah. they come in, you can adjust accordingly. But a lot of people shoot high. And a lot of times the elk react is why they shoot high too. They can really duck. They're a big animal, but they can really duck an arrow. Yeah. It And it's just because they're keyed up, you know? I mean, they're, they're anticipating when they come in, they're either anticipating a fight because you bugled at them or they're anticipating a cow and they're just looking and all of a sudden they hear the bow go off and their immediate action is to flinch or drop. And if you hit an elk high... Or you hit them in the shoulder, bye bye. Yeah. You ain't getting them. Right. You just don't get them. They're that tough. Right. And so, stay off the shoulder, and uh, you know, adjust for drop if they're keyed in on you at a little longer range. And you know, twenty yards or so, your arrow it'll be there before they can really duck you. But get out thirty yards and beyond. And if they're really pegged on you, you got to adjust a little bit. You aim them a little lower. Yeah, I'm going in an area where I think there's a lot of animals. So you know, oh, you I, I'm, I'm going to be okay to, you know, if I'm going to wait for the perfect <laughs> shot and uh, we'll, see, we'll see how it goes. But very excited to do that. And, uh, you know, I've actually been on MOTV watching some elk hunts. And oh. it's funny, I'll actually pause the video and I'll look and I'll say, okay, if that was my my view, where would I aim? And you're right, I aim, you know, aim off that shoulder. Um, right behind the crease there. There seems to be a little bigger target than uh, what I've shot turkeys with with my bow before. Right. I mean, I, you know what? I've done the same thing. Watch watch episodes. One thing I learned, I, I think I learned this from the Primos guys, you know, back in the day, because they had some epic elk stuff. They always have kind of been top level or top notch guys producing that kind of stuff. And uh, I always picked up that <clears throat> when an elk come in, they weren't not really shooting them uh, on that initial approach. It was after the elk kind of busted them that they would kind of take off a little bit. And they saw when that elk turned to run off, they saw that as the opportunity to draw. And so they weren't holding a long time fatigued and making a bad shot that way. Yeah. So they drew when the elk busted out of there, but then the caller was there. They, were, they had a call in and they stopped them. And a, a lot of times... You will get that shot because you you bugle at them or you call call quick and they stop and they look back and, look, right. and it gives you more of a broadside a lot of time shot and boom you, you're right on them so right. <clears throat> yeah it'll be fun you'll have fun any other any other hunts planned besides maybe coming here and trying to shoot a big whitetail again um working on i might, I might go to texas this year for whitetail nice. uh, bring my young son down there he's still trying to get his first deer i think texas would be a good place so i i, I don't get despite what my boss thinks i don't get to hunt and fish as much as i'd like to but uh you know do a lot locally um do a lot of weekends uh, might have to trespass on driven farms here a couple of times <laughs> this fall see yeah if I, you watch see, our facebook and see when we're gone you slip in here don't yeah you? see if i can't pass on some more deer at your place this year and see. mitch did pass on a really nice buck last year it, it wasn't by choice he took photos <laughs> of it and he kept sending me these photos i'm like why is any are you have you shot him yet and he's like no i i'm waiting for him to kind of turn and come in eventually he had about no oh, quite a few photos dozens of photos of this deer and finally the deer <laughs> bugged off and he needed to get the shot so but hey the good part is i found his sheds he's yeah. gonna be here this year oh, i'd like to see those he probably actually. would be uh he's gonna be bigger yeah. so maybe it all work out for the best the other good news is that was december 31st and it was minus 12 degrees oh yeah it and cold. it was kind of last light and we, I expected him to come to 20 yards. He was at like 35 yards and kind of quartering at me. And I've, I've seen the pictures I took. I, I could have made that shot. It wasn't, the, it wasn't a great shot, but I could have made that shot. I didn't think I needed to because I thought he would just come right in. And I think something busted me from behind. Some does or something came in, and, and he busted out. But I, I did walk out of there going, you know, I'm glad I didn't have to track a deer that maybe would have had a single long hit right. through the woods in the middle of the night when it's minus 12. I mean, so... Um, it's maybe a good call. Plus, it was New Year's Eve, and your wife wanted to go out for dinner, and yeah, you would have exactly. been in hot water. So, 
It was fun. And then yeah. I would have been helping you track, and then I would have been a help. Kind of comes full circle. It's not just about killing. I, I had an awesome time. One of the last pictures I took, there were two bucks, that, that that buck and another one that came in, and they were kind of giving me the middle finger with their tails as they were walking off. But it, it was really cool. I had the sunset in the back. They were all backlit, and these two bucks. I was like, hey, you know what? It's what drives us to, to this season. I'm... Uh, I'm going to be hunting elk when the Minnesota deer season opens, but um, you know, shortly after that, we'll we'll do a fair amount of local hunting. We have some property right. up in Minneapolis and get out on weekends. And you know, I'm not sure what the youth season holds this year, but we'll do a, a youth hunt as well. Well, get down here. You always have an open invite to come here. We got some great deer that are already showing up on our on mighty trail cameras and. And uh, we're excited. You know, all the food plots are in. Matter of fact, after we're done with this, we're going to go check out some of, of those and show you around a little bit. I'm, I'm excited. It's going to be a good year, yeah. I believe. And, of course, we, we leave in around two weeks from now. We'll be up in sheep camp hunting sheep. Nice. And, of course, I was walking the hill last night with, you know, these weights in my backpack. And, of course, <laughs> I was like... Good Lord, I am so in trouble because a good thing that's a mental game. I, I'm going to try to beat it at that, not a physical game. But yeah. uh, it's going to be fun because we're already in the fall hunt season. And as you know, there's not much dead time. Everybody's like, no. well, when's your dead season? You know, and we're like, there's no dead season because we've been producing, you know, the series stuff and now this digital stuff all summer and getting, you know, planting food plots and everything else. And getting ready for the fall and before you know it you're in the fall swing then after the fall swing in the winter you know the shows start the trade shows and the consumer shows and then after that you get the spring hunting season which right. is turkeys and bear right. and whatever no, else there's no off season yeah plus you like to fish occasionally too when you can yeah i fish with mitch he took me on a lake up north for muskies and uh we did catch some fish uh, it was fun. Muskies, yeah. uh, but I'm, I'm pretty well known for not catching muskies, actually. <laughs> taking people out and not catching them. I've been doing that a lot lately. Well, that's because you're the guide. But uh, you're taking people that are not used to musky fishing. That's the problem. If you'd a ta- guide musky fishermen, you'd probably be hauling them in the I boat. But it was fun. Yeah. I, I was more amused by just you know going around and checking out all those million-dollar mansions that were on that lake. It was yeah. cool. Yeah, we'll we'll get a chance to go fishing more. That's our goal is to uh, stay less busy and do more fishing. Maybe start the the driven angler. <laughs> well, the driven angler franchise. You're gonna host that. No, no. I'll produce it, but you can host my it. son. We'll let my son host the driven angler. Your kids are fishing machines. Yeah. Well, you know what? We're gonna wrap it up, and I want you to come back, and we'll talk. You know, another time, do some more. Hopefully, we'll get to talk about deer you're going to shoot this year some and success. big elk. Yeah. Well, good uh, luck this fall. I'm excited for you all and to see how, to see how you do. Yeah. I uh, appreciate that. Yeah. Right. Uh, yes, sir. We'll keep in touch, and we'll keep filming some good programming for the Outdoor Channel. So. Very good. And we'll keep airing you on Outdoor Channel. <laughs> Thank you. We yeah. need that. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Mitch. Thank you.